Hello, everyone, and welcome to not just another episode, but we've got the Kamigawa Neon Dynasty Crash Course here for you. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, thank God this episode title has Neon Dynasty in it. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I had a bit of a rough patch this week playing some double feature. Had like two of the like worst losing streak days I've ever had. Some like definitely was on me. Some like like just like small misplays that cost me games, but then just getting varianced a lot for sure, like decks that I thought were awesome that were going 03. So yeah, I am uh, I'm also excited to be diving into a format that's new and that I can play in best of three. I'm very excited for that. And it looks super complex. It looks awesome. I am so jazzed to dive into this format with you. Yeah, I did a full set review on stream with Alex AK quarter calls on Friday, and it took eight hours. <laughs> We were live for eight hours doing that set review. And that's because this is now the format with the most Oracle text words on the cards. It didn't feel that way to me. I didn't get the same sense of slogging through things that I did in like Strixhaven, for example. Yeah, Strixhaven isn't even close on that list. Call Time, I think, is second on the list. Uh, Frank Carson tweeted about it yesterday. And I was like, huh, maybe that's why it took so long is we just had a mountain of words to read. But yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about all these cards, get to our card grading differences, and of course, our top ranked common. So if you're tuning in to our beginning of the set episode here for the first time, we do spoiler season or preview season or new set season a little differently here on Lords of Limited. We're not going to be doing a full card by card review here on the show. We have, in fact, graded all the cards in a spreadsheet. So we will have those available for you. But what we're going to focus on here on the show is some more big picture stuff. So we're going to be looking at some stats in terms of how removal lines up with the power and toughness of the creatures. We're going to be looking at the support for all the various archetypes. We'll be looking at some things that we like to look at um, you know, frequently for sets like incidental life gain, what are the sweepers, what's the ratio of flying to, to reach creatures to flying hate, all that good stuff. Then we'll get into our grading differences in our spreadsheet. So Ben and I have graded all the cards separately, and we'll highlight all the cards where there is two or more gradations different. So if I gave something a C minus, because I'm a bit of a pessimistic grader, and Ben gave it a C plus because he's always the optimist, <laughs> then we're going to talk about that card. Um, and then we'll get to our ranked commons and uncommons top three in each of the colors at the end of the episode so a lot to pack in here first things first a few housekeeping things to take care of we got our patreon page patreon.com slash lords of limited where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose we got a lot of great stuff over at the patreon everybody who gives back via the patreon page gets access to the lords of limited discord we say it every new set it bears repeating the Discord is the place to be for a new format to break it wide open. It is just so awesome. I even hopped into a little practice draft yesterday. Those were firing while well, I was doing some work for the show notes for the podcast today. And that was super fun. So just a lot of really awesome stuff happening in the Discord. It's a fantastic community. You know, all, all the channels that open for a new format just pop off just really 24-7 limited tech support. It's great. Um, and other stuff as you move up the tiers as well over on the Patreon page. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, head on over. And we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they join. This week, we are welcoming Chris, Heather, Bruce, Jeffrey, Cameron, Rusty, Sealed Deck. Dave, Richard, Brendan, Liam, Antlers, and Kristoff. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. I don't know if Sealed Deck. Dave is the person that does Sealed Deck. Tech, but I think while we're at it, we should shout out Sealed Deck. Tech. Oh, yeah, it's just a great, great resource. And they, I think, have the full spoiler available on sealed deck tech now. So you can like mess around with, you know, if you want to build your archetype skeletons, a la Sam black um, before the format comes out, see like what commons might work together, et cetera, what things you want to prioritize at sealed deck tech is a fantastic resource. 
Show is also brought to you by Channel Fireball. Channelfireball.com, best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. Now is the time for you to be pre-ordering your Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. After the full previews are out, the format is looking super deep, super sweet. Now is the time to pick up a box or two to draft with friends, maybe down the road before the price goes up after people see you know, how many <laughs> eternal playables are in the format and sort of things like that. And speaking of, if you're somebody that plays those old school formats like Modern, Legacy, Vintage, again, I've heard tell... There are a lot of cards that look like they might be good and playable <laughs> in older formats. But you wouldn't know specifically yourself, right? You you don't touch those 60 card decks. Absolutely not. I just, this is all Twitter hearsay. But if you're doing any of that, boxes, singles, whatever, Channel Fireball Marketplace, make sure you use code LOL, all caps, at checkout. All right, let's get into it, baby. The stats. So, you know, th- these generally shake out to be the same, but the average creature power and toughness, average removal mana cost, and the average creature mana cost, we want to see how those things line up. So for this format, the average creature power at common or uncommon, and we should say, disclaimer, all the things that we're talking about, all the cards, all the stats, the averages, it's just looking at commons and uncommons here, just because the rares are going to be, they're special, you know, and Ben really hates them, so we don't want, we don't want to <laughs> talk about <laughs> rares or bombs on this on the show anymore. Um, but the average creature power is 2.31. And the average creature toughness is 2.62. And that's just about what we saw in Vow. But a little disclaimer here that raw stats are going to be less indicative than usual because there's lots of cards that have power and toughness set by different factors in the game. You know, there's like sagas that flip into zero zeros that have power and toughness equal to the cards in your hand or the number of lands you have. Or this, you know, there's an artifact creature that gets plus one plus oh for each artifact or enchantment in your graveyard. Like it was pretty hard for me to you know, figure out which of these or count certain of these cards, you know? Yeah, I was very strategic in leaving that section of the show (laughs) notes for you to figure out. And I I started at the bottom and worked my way up. (laughs) Yeah, well, you're you're a kind gentleman there. Uh, The average removal mana cost is 2.65. And we'll get into how we counted removal, what what counts as removal, etc. But that's a slight decrease from what we saw in Vow. Vow was 2.84. And the average creature mana value is 3.07. Again, a slight decrease from what we saw in Vow at 3.2. And again, disclaimer, raw stats may not be super helpful because there's varying costs in terms of, you know, sagas up front as like two mana two three flyers or whatever but is that really a two mana two three flyer because you're not getting it until two turns later etc cost reduction in some instances for stuff like ninjutsu channel etc so you know i generally i feel like these stats are, are helpful in some way but here i feel like there's just a lot of variables happening that may not make this as indicative of certain things as usual yeah absolutely that makes total sense so i think the next thing we're going to dive into is the removal spells and how those line up with the creature power and toughness so if we take a look at removal spells that are going to hit creatures with one toughness first up we've got clawing torment this is single black for an enchantment aura enchant artifact or creature as long as enchanted permanent is a creature it gets minus one minus one and can't block and enchanted permanent has at the beginning of your upkeep you lose one life there's also an uncommon saga life of toshiro umezawa one in a black for a saga the first two chapters let you choose one And one of those choices is target creature gets minus one at minus one until end of turn. And you also want to look out for other ways to punish one toughness creatures. The first one that comes to mind is Spirited Companion. That's one on a white for the one one when it ETBs, you draw a card. And so that like replaces itself and then threatens to, you know, if your opponent has a two one or a three one, you know, you're thrilled to just trade that off with their, uh, you know, actual creature because you've already replaced your creature uh, with a card draw. 100%. So we've got 111 total creatures in Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, 108 if you count the ones that have like 
solid power and toughness, not variable power and toughness. And these two removal spells that hit X1s hit 26 total creatures. There are 26 total creatures with toughness one. So they, in general, are able to hit 24% of the creatures in the format. That's a lot. I mean, we're seeing this, I think, creep here in terms of, you know, sometimes there's not a lot of ways to punish X1s. You know, there really weren't outside of just the good one drops in Crimson Vow. Here we're seeing two actual ways to punish X1s in terms of just picking them off, but also that one toughness creature are that's a big representation i think that that feels like one of the highest numbers one in four creatures are going to have one toughness here yeah for sure and i think the other way to punish them is going to be those pilot tokens that are going to be running around there's a lot of ways to make those yeah for sure for sure moving up the chain to two toughness creatures you have a handful of ways to deal with those first up is lethal exploit that's one on a black for an instant target creature gets minus two minus two until end of turn it also gets an additional minus one minus one until end of turn for each modified creature you controlled as you cast this spell We've also got Voltage Surge, red for an instant. As an additional cost to cast this spell, you may sacrifice an artifact. Voltage Surge deals two damage to target creature Planeswalker. If the spell's additional cost was paid, it deals four damage instead. And Format All-Star, Twin Shot Sniper, three and a red for a two, three artifact creature with reach. When it ETBs, it deals two damage to any target. It also has a channel cost. That's the alternate cost where you can pay one and a red, discard it, and deal two damage to any target. You mean Bone Crusher Giant? Oof, I guess. I guess I do mean Bone Crusher <laughs> Giant. So there's 30 creatures in total with Toughness 2, which brings us to 56 of our total 111 creatures this is going to hit. So these three spells kill 52% of the creatures in the format with Toughness 2. And that's usually what we see. We see it be about half and then it just ranges in terms of is that good or bad you know i hearken back to call time where frostbite was just okay um i think the, the small creatures in this format are going to matter a lot here and so i think these removal spells are going to be quite good we move up the chain to x3s there's a couple ways to punish those first up is ninja's kunai this is an artifact it's one mana for an equipment equipped creature has one tap sacrifice ninja's kunai it deals three damage to any target and has an equip cost of one we've also got Kami's Flare, one in a red for an instant. Kami's Flare deals three damage to target creature or planeswalker. It also deals two damage to that permanence controller if you control a modified creature. Ooh. And so there's 25 creatures with toughness three, which brings us up to 81 total or 75% of the creatures you'll see at common or uncommon. Moving on to the X4s. First spell we've got up that's going to deal with X4s is Wanderer's Intervention. This is one and a white for an instant, and it deals four damage to target attacking or blocking creature. And the other one that deals with four toughness specifically is what Ben just mentioned for X2s, Voltage Surge. So if you sacrifice an artifact when you cast it, it'll deal four damage instead. And, and interesting enough, and I have this later on when we will talk about removal, but Voltage Surge is Red's like deal with a larger thing removal spell at common. You know, usually we have, you know, the last rate flesh of the world or the burn the accursed or whatever. Um, Red doesn't have that this time around at common. It's got Voltage Surge dealing two. It's got Kami's Fire dealing three and then has Voltage Surge again dealing four. And those two spells bring us up to another 19 creatures that have four toughness, 100 total of the creatures. So 93% of the creatures in the format, those two removal spells are dealing with. And so then that leaves us with less than a dozen creatures remaining that are toughness five or more. And there's actually nothing 
that specifically targets five or more toughness in the format. So, you know, then to get, deal with those creatures, you're looking at the catch-all removal spells. Black has one at common, etc. Um, a few other things that we wanted to take a look at, some like differently targeted removal. First up, we have the Fall of Lord Conda, which is an uncommon saga in white. It's two and a white. And the first chapter says, exile target creature and opponent controls with mana value four or greater. And I think a lot of folks, you know, when we were doing our set review, you read this and you think it's talking about power for a greater or toughness for a greater. No, no, no. It's just mana value for a greater. So you're definitely going to have targets in your opponent's deck for this. And those targets are generally going to be the things that you want to kill. Um, so I don't think that this is relegated to the sideboard like a lot of those other effects. So I checked what creatures have mana value for or greater in the format. Well, there's 37 total. So that's 34% of the commons or uncommons. We've also got Repel the Vile for punishing large creatures. This is three and a white for an instant and you choose one. Exile target creature with power four or greater or exile target enchantment. And so there are 14 total creatures with power of four or greater. And so that's 13% of the creatures, but there's going to be some enchantment creatures floating around as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, speaking of those enchantment creatures, I also wanted to check like just how many artifacts and enchantments are there in terms of creature types for these naturalized effects that are floating around. And there's 38 artifact creatures plus eight vehicles. So that's 41% of the creatures that common or uncommon. And then 35 enchantment creatures, so 32%. So if we skip ahead a little bit to the removal section, you know, green has a spell called Fade into Antiquity. Two and a green for a sorcery, exile, target, artifact, or enchantment. And these stats would lead me to believe that you know, more often than not, you will have a target for this for sure. The question is, is that target going to be the thing that you need to kill, right? So I'm curious your thoughts on are we main decking these kinds of effects in this format? My gut says no to start. And then I think I'll see how I feel in the games. If I feel like I want that type of effect frequently, then I would start maining it. Mm -hmm. and, and the thing that, you know, Alex was bringing up when we were doing our set review, which I think bears repeating here is like, it's, the question is not about will you have a target because you are very, very likely to have a target. The question is, is that target the thing that you need to remove with your removal spell that makes playing a card like Fade into Antiquity worth main decking? Right. My, my gut says no. Okay. All right, so that's going to bring us on to the removal section here. Um, so the spreadsheet where we have all of our card grades as well as this removal will be available to you where you download the show. Um, so you can follow along at home, but you can see that tab in the spreadsheet. There are 20 removal spells at common or uncommon. Uh, Vow had 19, so about the same as we uh, got in the last format. The average removal cost is 2.65, and in comparison, Vow is 2.84, so a little bit cheaper on average. Um, 11 at common, 9 at uncommon, about the same split as Vow. Vow had 12 and 7, respectively. And if we dive into some noteworthy things about the removal, red and black, as per usual, have about half of the removal spells in total, with each of them getting five removal spells. Red gets two small removal spells, but not a big one. Although, as you mentioned earlier, Voltage Surge kind of does double duty if you have an artifact to sacrifice to deal four damage. White also in the running with five removal spells. It has a common arrest variant. It has that deal four to an attacker. It has an uncommon, you know, Banishing Light Oblivion Ring effect plus two more. Um, blue gets its enchantment based removal spell plus a totally lost variant that's sort of like, you know, put a permanent on top or bottom of its owner's library. But no pure bounce spell, right? No alchemist's retrieval, no geist wave. Uh, the bounce in blue is attached to a ninja enter the battlefield effect. Yeah, they just get mana war instead, which is infinitely better. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. 
And then green, you get two bite spells, one at common and one at uncommon. Um, and some things that we didn't count in this 20 pieces of removal, uh, there's four counter spells in blue, ranging from, you know, really good with essence capture, that's blue, blue, counter a creature spell, put a plus one plus one counter on a creature you control. <laughs> Um, down to something that only will be good against Ben, Spell Pierce, single blue, <laughs> counter target non-creature spell unless it's controller pays two. Um, blue also has an aura in short circuit. It's one in a blue for an aura, flash, enchant, artifact, or creature. As long as enchanted permanent is a creature, it gets minus three, minus oh, and loses flying. That feels more like a combat trick than a removal spell to me. Yeah, moving on to artifact and enchantment destruction. There's three ways to blow up artifacts and enchantments. First of them is lucky offering. White for a sorcery, destroy target artifact with mana value three or less. You gain three life. Repel the Vial, we talked about. That's the exile creature with power four or greater or exile target enchantment. And fade into antiquity is the green uh, spell that lets you exile an artifact or an enchantment. And then there's a couple other removal spells. There's a black edict effect called Debt to the Kami. This is two and a black for an instant. Choose one, target opponent exiles a creature they control, or target opponent exiles an enchantment they control. And black also gets the very well-named You Are Already Dead, single black instant, destroy target creature that was dealt damage this turn, draw a card. And I think thinking about You Are Already Dead similarly to Blade Brand is probably pretty helpful, except, you know, there's some differences in terms of Blade Brand. You could just cycle. You can't just cycle You Are Already Dead, but you also can't get blown out with You Are Already Dead, whereas with Blade Brand, you could, right? You go to like use your Blade Brand on your small creature in combat, and then they kill that, and, and you get two for one i mean this card is best for power moving right it's not a good magic card yeah i mean i don't know you can you can play it it's it's yeah you can play it it's not great though i agree so before we dive into other things i don't know if we're going to talk about this card anywhere else does our stats knowing that wanderer's intervention that's the one in a white deal four damage to an attacking or blocker deals with 93 percent of the creatures does that make you like that card anymore the thing about that card is that it's a good magic card right it's cheap it's a it's a good rate it just depends where you want it, right? Like your aggressive white decks don't want that. Much like your aggressive white decks weren't super happy with Fierce Retribution and Vow because to get what your aggressive white decks want out of the removal is to get blockers out of the way. And that doesn't do it, right? You don't want to set up an attack where your opponent blocks and then you use your intervention to clear their blocker. That's not good, right? You, you would much rather have the enchantment-based removal that just lets you play that pre-combat and get in with your attack. So I think it just has to be about the kinds of decks you put it in not about like is this a good or bad magic card all right fair enough moving on to just some keyword and archetype support in the format sort of some broad looks at the mechanics things like that so first up we've got channel here 17 cards in total have channel and it's spread across every color except black so there's three white cards four blue cards, three red cards, six green cards, and then the blue, green, gold, uncommon, which is Colossal Sky Turtle. If this is not an Ethan Sachs card, I've never seen an I Ethan know. Sachs card before. <laughs> I love this card, and Alex was like, oh, I don't really like this card. I was like, "It's this is, a, this is a charm. It's not even a split card. It's a trip card. Yeah, that's because Alex hates anything that costs more than two mana. <laughs> What's the Sky Turtle do? Four green, green, blue for a 6-5 flying turtle with ward two. And it has two channel abilities. You can channel it for two and a green to return target card from your graveyard to your hand. Or you can channel it for one and a blue to return target creature to its owner's hand. Yeah, I think this is sweet. My my one like little criticism about this card is that I think the green channel ability and the actual creature are kind of the same in the sense of they're both good late game, right? And I guess it'll just depend is like, it's unlikely I feel like that you have something better to get back from your graveyard, maybe a removal spell, I guess, 
than just playing this giant flyer. Um, but I love the like modality of, you know, when it's in your opening hand, you have a piece of interaction. I guess this is Blue's bounce spell in a way um, that I talked about. They didn't have it. No, here it is on the, the channel ability on the Sky Turtle. And then in the late game, um, when you draw this, you just get to cast a giant flying beater. Yeah. Uh, one of the best green commons, I think, is Jukai Preserver. This is three and a green for a 3-3 three, three enchantment creature human druid. When it enters the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control, and it has a channel ability of just two and a green, discard it, put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures you control. Yeah, that card is a house. And there's yeah. not a ton of cards that actually care about you channeling. Channeling is sort of its own reward because mm -hmm. you get the split value on the card, right? You get the cheap effect and then you also get the bigger card later. But there is a card called Containment Construct. This is two mana for a 2-1 artifact creature and it says whenever you discard a card, you can exile that card from your graveyard. If you do, you may play that card this turn. So if I have nine mana, I can bounce something from my opponent and then cast Colossal Sky Turtle. Listen, if you're telling me you're never going to do that in this format, I just don't believe you. I think you're a liar. Right <laughs> I mean, now. I'm sure I will. <laughs> I think Containment Construct is actually kind of a sweet little build around. There are ways to loot and rummage in blue and red. Um, so I think this could be like a cool little engine. You know, if you can loot or rummage away lands and just play them with the construct, that feels really sweet to me. I agree. Uh, moving on to ninjutsu and we got some we got some great confirmation ben that we also were not alone in us misremembering that this name was spelled differently on magic cards but we also got a lot of people giving us some pronunciation guides so appreciate that uh there are 12 cards with ninjutsu in this format four blue four black one blue black and shockingly two green and one white as well yeah, I think ninjutsu is looking like it's going to be super busted. And I think I just went through and looked at some enablers for cards like this. And I think first and foremost, the best one of them is going to be Network Disruptor. It's yeah. blue for a 1-1 flying artifact creature. As if it wasn't good enough, they made it an artifact too. Yeah. 1-1 uh, flying when it enters the battlefield, tap target permanent. That card is going to be the bane of everyone's existence. So we've got, you know, limited junkies like you and me and Alex talking about this card being great we've got ryan Sachs, you know tweeting to the world about one drops we've got lsv tweeting to the world about one drops do we think we'll finally be in a spot where these cards are appropriately taken or do we think the, the learning curve is just too steep to get to like understanding how busted these one drops are i don't think there's a chance in week one because if you haven't played with ninjutsu it's not obvious how good those ninjutsu cards are and how important the enablers are you've got to take the enablers first right because yes, the ninjutsu cards are terrible if you don't have the good ways to enable them and there's about eight of them here i think that one's the best the other ones, there are a lot of ground creatures. The other ones got flying. If you had maybe like a hybrid ninjutsu deck, Moth Rider Patrol is a great enabler as well. Uh, it's white for a one mana, one, one flyer, and you can pay three and a white to tap it to tap target creature. That's another good way if you've maybe got a white black or a white blue deck with some ninjutsu cards in it. I also think one that you don't actually have on here that is a, a fine enabler. This is the the saga. I forget what it's called, but we're, we're going to talk about it in our top black commons. But it's single black saga. First two chapters, your opponent loses a life, you gain a life. And then the third chapter flips into a 2-2 two, two menace. And so, you know... It's not attacking until turn four, essentially, as a 2-2 Menace, but it is cheap and something you're interested in picking up to get those, you know, first two chapters rolling again. So I think that's also a pretty good ninjutsu enabler in a color that has a lot of ninjas. Yeah, I think for sure. And this is going to be probably one of the better archetypes in the format would be my guess without having played with the cards yet. My, also, my other guess is that it's probably going to be one of the more drafted archetypes, at least early. Like, I think... This is just a clear deck in terms of what it wants to do. Assemble A plus B, enablers plus cards that say ninjutsu. 
I think that's going to be easy to figure out. It feels like one of the headliner mechanics. We're going back to Kamigawa. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if this felt a little overdrafted. Now, if it's OP, like something like Blue Black was in Midnight Hunt, then who cares? And maybe the table can support four drafters doing it and you still have busted decks. I don't know. But uh, I, I expect that people are going to understand this deck early. Moving on to our next archetype slash keyword, we've got Red Green Modified. There are 13 cards that care about you having a modified creature. Uh, five of those are red, two of them are green, one red-green, two black, one blue, and two colorless. So again, primarily concentrated in red and green. But there is some overlap, I think, in red-black stuff going on with Modified as well. Mm-hmm. And the premier gold uncommon for red-green is Invigorating Hot Spring. It's one red-green for an enchantment, enters the battlefield with four plus one plus one counters on it. Modified creatures you control have haste, and you can remove a plus one plus one counter from Invigorating Hot Spring and put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. Activate only as a sorcery and only once each turn. Yeah, I think that card's going to be pretty sweet. This was another card that uh, I saw Ryan Sachs tweeting about uh, yesterday, I think. And I, yeah, I think this is a really strong signpost for this archetype and does a lot. And then we've got a couple of payoffs here. There's actually not great ones, and two of the better ones seem to be colorless cards to me um twashi guidebot we're going to argue about this a little later <laughs> four mana for a 2-1 artifact creature construct when it enters the battlefield put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control and you can pay four tap draw a card and it costs one less to activate that ability for each modified creature you control yeah i'm not excited about that i am excited about walking skyscraper eight mana for an eight eight artifact creature construct costs one less to cast for each modified creature you control it has trample and hex proof as long as it's untapped this is a brick house my friend <laughs> yeah card is large i mean this this really reminds me of gate colossus from ravnica allegiance right like eight mana eight eight can't be chumped this one had trample the other one like couldn't be blocked by creatures with power two or less but effectively can't be chumped um a little bit of you know cost reduction here you get this down to costing six and it like stabilizes you because you know when you cast it they can't remove it like Holy cow, this card is a beating. Yeah, card's great. Looking at reconfigure, this is the you know ability that some artifact creatures have to turn themselves into equipment. There are eight cards that have reconfigure. Three red, two blue, two black, one green. White just being left out of reconfigure, of modified. So sad. Um, yeah, and not really like any, like reconfigure. It, it's, it's funny, like all of these things like reconfigure or uh, channel, like there's no payoffs for them, but they themselves are the payoffs. Like we we don't care. It's like blood. It's like blood is just good for limited. You don't need a thing that cares about blood. Same thing with reconfigure, same thing with channel. And like reconfigure then still works with, with modified, right? Because that, you know, turn it into an equipment and that makes your creature modified. So, um, you know, it's not going to come up a ton of only eight cards at common or uncommon, but I bet those are going to be pretty darn high picks. Well, and worth noting that these are all artifact creatures as well, and they're concentrated in Grixis, red, blue, black, and those are going to be yes. the two color pairs, red, blue, and red, black that most care about you having artifacts in play. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we've also got tribal things going on. There's a lot of stuff going on in terms of like the archetypes in this format. So we, we touched on already blue, black ninjas slash rogues with the ninjas and the rogues. There's four rogues as well, two blue, two black, because I think it's important to note that the signpost uncommon for blue, black, we talked about last week, it gives plus and plus one to both ninjas and rogues. Right. Well, and that card we mentioned that's going to be a great enabler, Network Disruptor, is a rogue. So it's going to get buffed by mm -hmm. those cards that buff ninjas and rogues. For sure. What's going on with Red, White, Samurais, and Warriors? 
We've got 19 Samurais in total in the format. They're concentrated in red and white, as you would imagine. Seven white, six red, and the red, white, gold, uncommon. And then there are a smattering in other colors. There's two green, two black, and one blue Samurai slash Warriors. And then there's five Warriors in the format. Again, mostly in red and white. There's three red Warriors, one white, and one green. And again, much like Network Disruptor, the one drop Moth Rider Patrol is a warrior. That's the one mana, one, one flyer. Mm. You pay three and a white, tap it to tap target creature. So all those cards that care about Samurais or Warriors attacking alone can put their buffs onto a flying evasive creature here that you're going to want to play anyway, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, And it looks like there's nine cards in total that care about a Samurai or Warrior attacking alone, and those are all in red, white. And then we've also got Tempered in Solitude, which again, we're going to argue about a little bit later cares about any creature attacking alone. This is one in red for an enchantment, and whenever a creature you control attacks alone, you exile the top card of your library, and you can play that card this turn. Looking at what blue-white is doing, that's the vehicles archetype. There are eight vehicles at common or uncommon. These are all concentrated in blue-white. Two blue, two white, one blue-white, and then three colorless. There are some cards that care about vehicles. None are busted. There's Mech Hanger, which is a colorless land that lets you crew vehicles, essentially. Yeah, that card is not great. And there's also the blue-white signpost uncommon, which is Prodigy's Prototype. It's one blue-white for a 3-4 vehicle, and whenever one or more vehicles you control attack, create a 1-1 colorless pilot creature token with this creature crew's vehicles as though its power were two greater, and it's got a crew cost of two. Yeah, and you're also going to want to look out for ways to make those pilot tokens. Otherwise, something like Born to Drive, which is two and white for an uncommon aura, it enchants an artifact or creature. As long as Enchanted Permanent is a creature, it gets plus one, plus one for each creature and or vehicle you control. But it also has a channel cost of two and a white to make two of those one one colorless pilot creature tokens that crew vehicles as though their power were two greater. Right. And the channel is what you want on that card, right? The actual card is not that good, but the channel effect in a blue white vehicles deck is very good. Making two pilots to crew two of your vehicles is busted. Yeah, for sure. And then the last thing we want to take a look at is the shrines. We have seen some of them, but there are, in fact, five shrines, one of each color, and they are all uncommon. And then there's a card that searches up shrines as well if you want to go deep. We have Shrine Steward. This is five mana for a 3-2 artifact creature construct. And when it ETBs, you can search your library for an aura or a shrine card, reveal it, put it into your hand, and then shuffle. Yeah, I mean, I- I'm I'm sure I will do the shrine thing many times. I may even have like a full shrine week like I did in M21. But I am not that excited about the shrines. I think they seem like as creatures, they're fairly understated for what you're paying. Um, and then the fact that you have to pay mana for the activation or for the bonus that they all give it makes me a little dubious of of how likely you are to play them now something to mention about shrine steward is that sure it can search up shrines but it also searches for an aura and you know in white white has aura removal black has aura removal even blue if you want tamio's completion like i think this might just be i mean it's a little overcosted in terms of you know uh, what's it called the uh, heliod's pilgrim that we've seen before three mana one two that has a similar ability but i think that that will come up far more often than searching up shrines. That's fair. I hadn't considered that aspect of the card. Just on shrines in general, I think I'm a slightly more optimistic than you are. I think they're mm-hmm. all in the C plus B minus range just because if you get two of them, you're starting to do good things. So I think it's worth taking shrines that are in your colors. And then you also have that possibility or upside of just going super deep, depending on what the draft's doing. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very, very skeptical. But as <laughs> is the case often, I'm skeptical, you're optimistic, and then I end up playing with the cards way more <laughs> than you do. <laughs> All right, let's get to one of my favorite decks here. Red, Black, Artifact, Sacrifice. 
Uh, there are 57 total artifacts at common or uncommon, um, largely concentrated in Grixis, 11 blue, 7 black, 11 red, and then 4 in white, 1 in green, 3 multicolored, and 20 colorless. Any like important payoffs or enablers you want to take a look at here? Yeah, first up is Dockside Chef. I think this is going to be a great card in the format. This is black for an enchantment creature. It's a 1-2, and you can pay 1 and a black to sacrifice an artifact or a creature to draw a card. There's also Dragon Spark Reactor. This is 1 on red for an uncommon artifact. When it or another artifact enters the battlefield under your control, put a charge counter on Dragon Spark Reactor. And you can pay 4, sacrifice it to have a deal damage equal to the number of charge counters on it to target player and that much damage up to one target creature. This is like Shrine of Burning Rage. Yeah, that card is absurdly powerful. And speaking of absurdly powerful, we've got the Black Red Gold Uncommon. This is Oni Cult Anvil. It's an artifact. Whenever one or more artifacts you control leave the battlefield during your turn, you make a 1-1 colorless construct artifact creature token, and this ability triggers only once each turn, and you can tap this, pay no mana, sacrifice an artifact and it deals one damage to each opponent and you gain one life ben i just have to like insert from last week me saying like all i want is a red black blood artist effect because that's what we got it's so good yeah this card's insane can you imagine having two of these on the battlefield at once i'm so uh, yeah yes i can I'm, i better <laughs> i better have two of these on the battlefield at some point in the next couple months uh moving on to green white enchantments there are 54 total enchantments at common or uncommon, and these are largely in you know flip. If we think about artifacts, is red, blue, black. This is largely in white and green. 13 white, 15 green, and then you know blue, black, and red all have about seven or eight, and then four gold enchantments at common or uncommon. There's a couple payoffs here. The best of them, I think, is generous visitor. This is green for a one-one spirit, and whenever you cast an enchantment spell, you put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. There's also sky blessed samurai. This is six and a white for a 4-4 enchantment creature human samurai. It's a 4-4 with flying and it costs one less to cast for each enchantment you control. Getting this down cheap does not seem that difficult in a white green enchantment stack. Right. I think you should just look at this as probably air elemental or better in a white mm -hmm. green deck if you're building your deck right. So something that we haven't talked about yet, which I think is worth mentioning, is like the pack collation, because um, we're also going to get to there being ETB tapped gain lands, which don't actually take up the land slot like we saw in, you know, lands being snow lands or snow duels in Kaldheim. Here, they're going to act as, you know, part of the common print run. So you're going to see about what you're seeing about eight to 10, I think, on average per draft are, are opened. Um, there is a saga slot in the packs, right? There is this modal double-faced card slot in the packs which is gonna skew white and green because black blue and red i believe i'll just have one at common uncommon and rare whereas white and green i believe have three total at common or uncommon each so you're gonna see i think more often than not a green or a white saga than you are a blue black or red saga in that double face slot so i think like the enchantment drafter is going to have that little bit of a boost knowing like oh more often than not these sagas are going to be green or white oh i like it i like it all right, moving on to blue-red artifacts. This supposedly cares about artifacts entering the battlefield. So you're going to have all those same red payoffs that you had in red-black artifact sacrifice. Another good payoff here is Patchwork Automaton. What's going on there? Okay, Patchwork Automaton is two mana for a 1-1 artifact creature construct at Uncommon. It has Ward 2. and says, whenever you cast an artifact spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on Patchwork Automaton. Here's important safety tip, folks, and there's a lot of safety tips, I think, that we're going to want to give in the first few weeks of this format. 
there are cards in this format that say whenever you cast an artifact spell, and there are cards in this format that say whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control. And there doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason about how those exist, but you just make sure that you're taking into account like, okay, this cares about them entering, this cares about me casting them. You know what I also realized last night while I was doing a practice draft? Oni Cult Anvil doesn't care about sacrificing, it cares about them leaving the battlefield. So you can ninjutsu away artifacts and still get the trigger. Ooh, so good. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm excited about Patchwork Automaton. You know, it's a, it's a little maybe slow or whatever, or a card that, you know, if it's not in your opening hand, it's not that good, potentially. But this has like Paxong Pup vibes to me in terms of when it comes down on turn two in a dedicated artifact deck. I think this can get out of hand in a hurry. Absolutely. And I think with both of those archetypes, blue, red and red, black, you're going to be on the lookout for cheap artifacts that either do something when they enter the battlefield so that you don't mind sacrificing them or that replace themselves. And one of the best is going to be experimental synthesizer. This is red for an artifact when it enters or leaves the battlefield, you exile the top card of your library until end of turn, you can play that card and then also has the ability of two and a red sacrifice experimental synthesizer to make a two, two white samurai creature token with vigilance that you can only do at sorcery speed. I mean, the art on this card is literally a golden egg. Like this is literally telling us this is the golden egg of the format, <laughs> right? I mean, you could say that that is true. I uh, will argue about this a little later, but I'm, I'm preemptively conceding uh, my grade to you. I think I think you're you're definitely more right about this card than I am. Sweet. Already got a point. Let's go. <laughs> uh, looking at black-white, which is the balance of artifacts and enchantments, a handful of payoffs. Enablers are obviously just artifacts and enchantments, having both of them. And I think specifically things that you want to stick around, right? So like, it's tough because sagas... They'll stick around for a few turns, you know, unharmed. But then once they turn into creatures, it's fair game. Um, but something that is both an enabler and a payoff is Machiko's Reign of Truth. What's going on there? This is one and a white for a saga. Chapters one and two, target creature gets plus one plus one until end of turn for each artifact and or enchantment you control. And then chapter three, you exile the saga and return to the battlefield transformed into Portrait of Michiko, which is a zero zero enchantment creature that gets plus one plus one for each artifact and or enchantment you control. I think that card seems pretty darn good. It's quite cheap. So it's a little weird with the, you know, you play it, you don't want to actually play it on turn two because then you don't get the buffs of the, the plus one plus one to another thing. You don't like maximize it. But I think that has the potential to be pretty large and in charge in a lot of games. Agreed. And that brings us to our last archetype here, which is black green recursion and attrition. Wah, wah. Yeah, we got some some feedback about, you know, us underrating Gloomshrieker a little bit where it has menace and it's in black. This is the one black green two on menace when ETBs return a permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. And so you could ninjutsu this back because it has, you know, a, a kind of evasion, which we hadn't considered. But I do still sort of feel a little bit skeptical of this archetype or the support for this color pair. It's just not particularly supportive. There's another card that slots in here very well called Gravelighter, which is two and a black for a 2-2 spirit with flying. And when it enters the battlefield, you draw a card if a creature died this turn. Otherwise, each player sacrifices a creature. That is ostensibly a green-black card, but it's also just an insane black card that every black drafter is going to take. Is this card that insane? I think so. This is Plague Crafter a lot of the time. I think we're, are, are we not forgetting like that setting up Morbid isn't that easy? But that's 
the the worst case scenario. Plague Crafter was not a good card. Oh, we're starting the arguments early. I wasn't I, was, I wasn't mentally prepared to argue with you yet. <laughs> just saying. I just saw. Yeah. Well, I, I must be wrong. Whenever you and Alex both agree on a card and both think it's good or both think it's bad, and I think the opposite, I feel like I'm generally wrong. But I don't I don't see it on this card. This card seems fine to me, not busted. Yeah. I mean, it's like a B minus to me. Yeah. I don't. I think it's lower than that for sure. All right. Moving on to fixing. We've got a handful of fixing here, right? So we talked about there's the end of the battlefield tapped gain lands. So uh, one for each color pair. And you're going to see about, you know, on average of eight to 10 opened at each draft. We've also got another land that I'm really excited about. What's Uncharted Haven? This is a land that enters the battlefield tapped. And when it ETBs, you choose a color and it taps to add one mana, the chosen color. So essentially an Evolving Wilds variant that doesn't require you to play awkward numbers of basics. Yeah, card's great. Uh, a couple ways in green to fix. One is Grafted Growth. Two in a green for an aura. Enchant Land. When it enters the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature or vehicle you control. And Enchanted Land has tap add two mana of any one color. We've also got something like Network Terminal as the Manalith variant in the formats. Three mana for an artifact. You can tap add one mana of any color. And you can pay one tap, tap another untapped artifact you control to loot, draw a card, and then discard a card. Yeah, and we've got like, you know, Ecologist Terrarium is a two mana artifact. When it ETBs, you can search your library for a basic land, put it into your hand, then shuffle. And the channel ability on Greater Tanuki uh, lets you search for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield, tapped, then shuffle. And that's two in a green, right? Yeah, so a couple ways in green, a couple colorless, and a, a couple land options here for fixing. But what does that what does that say to you? Do you think you're going to be splish splashing around a lot? I just don't feel like that's what we're doing in limited these days anymore. I do think so. Just from the couple Ooh. practice drafts I did last night, I frequently found myself in Grixis wanting to splash because there was a lot of artifact overlap in Grixis. And I could okay. also see like some enchantment artifact overlap in junk, like white, green, black. This just looks like one of those formats where a lot of the synergies bleed throughout the different color pairs. And I think in formats like that, you're frequently incentivized to splash. So yeah, I'm pretty excited about two colors in a splash decks or just honestly i think the support is there for full-on five color shrines too i, I do think we're going to be <laughs> splashing in the format all right great well that that excites me quite a bit moving on to incidental life gain this is a category we always like to take a look at to maybe see what the speed of the format might be potentially because the more incidental life gain there is generally the harder it is for aggro decks to get the job done yeah um and there are you know if you're uh, if you're one of our patrons who gets access to our show notes you can see all the cards listed here there's a, you know about a dozen a little less than a dozen ways to just gain life as one-offs and then some repeatable ways i think two that are worth mentioning one is our uh, official preview card leech gauntlet one on a black for a two two artifact creature equipment leech with lifelink and it has a reconfigure cost of four to give equipped creature lifelink as well um that's a really nice way to repeatably gain life there's also selfless samurai card is a house this is one and a white for a two two fox samurai and whenever a samurai or warrior you control attacks alone it gains lifelink until end of turn and then you can also sacrifice selfless samurai to give another target creature you control indestructible until end of turn and that's any creature doesn't have to be a samurai or a warrior uh moving on to sweepers gotta see how many of these uh Sweeper effects, we got to play around in limited. There's actually two mini sweepers at uncommon. The first is malicious malfunction, one black black for a sorcery. All creatures get minus two, minus two until end of turn. If a creature would die this turn, exile it instead. There's also seismic wave in red, two in red for an instant, deals two damage to any target and one damage to each non-artifact creature target opponent controls. And then... 
Just one sweeper at rare or mythic, and that's farewell. Four white white for a sorcery. Choose one or more. Exile all artifacts. Exile all creatures. Exile all enchantments. And exile all graveyards. And then next category we like to take a look at is mana sinks. So repeatable places that you can put your mana turn after turn if the board stalls out or things like that. What do we have going on in the mana sink department? So the two big categories, I think, are reconfigure costs slash equip costs. Um, Those are great places to repeatably put your mana, as well as the shrines. So all, all five of the uncommon shrines, they have this ability at the beginning of your end step. You can pay one. If you do, you get some sort of ability from that shrine for each of the shrines that you control. And then looking at the rest, you know, we've got Moth Rider Patrol, which we've talked about. That's your tapper. There's Dockside Chef. We talked about that. That's the Black Uncommon that lets you sack and draw. Um, we have Tawashi Guidebot. That's the artifact that lets you put a counter on something and then draw cards repeatedly. So, you know, you've got that what we generally expect to see in terms of, you know, put counters on stuff or tap a thing or draw a card, um, but not a ton of repeatable mana sinks beyond the reconfigure stuff and equipment. Moving on to flying and flying hate. We've got 12 creatures in total with flying and three sagas that flip into creatures that have flying and also three vehicles that have flying. Uh, so that's four in white, eight in blue, two in black, one blue red, one blue green and two colorless. In addition to that, there is so much reach. Yeah, three creatures in green, one saga that flips into a creature with reach, two auras that grant reach, one of which has channel for a combat trick with reach, and we also have Bamboo Grove Archer as a reach creature that doubles as the plummet of the format, so that's the one in a green, 3-3 defender reach, and has channel four in a green, discard it, destroy target creature with flying. R&D's attempt to allow green decks to keep Network Disruptor in check, and they're still going to get savagely owned. Yeah, plus there's Secret Reach on Twin Shot Sniper. That's the four mana, two, three artifact. ETBs deals two damage to any target, has channel for two mana, deal two damage to any target. That's got reach that we already know, 0.37 in the 50 takes episode. (laughs) Boom, lock it in. All right, that's going to bring us into our card differences argument. So to kick that off or to set us up for that, we're going to talk about the grading scale that we use. Yeah, so we use the traditional LR grading scale. So A, B, C, D, and F. Your A's are going to be your bombs, game winners, cards that are good in many situations, especially when you're behind some of the best cards in the set, bomb rares, and hyper-efficient removal spells. Unfortunately, there weren't really any of these in Val for us to <laughs> reference, right? No, just cards like Wedding Announcement, Dreadfast Demon, Hullbreaker Horror, every single rare in Crimson Val, you know. Your Bs are strong cards that pull you into a color, make you want to play that color, reasons to be in a particular color or combination of colors. These are your top commons and strong uncommons, Flame Blessed Bolt, Lantern Bearer, Storm Chaser Drake, Dormant Grove, Parasitic Grasp, those kinds of cards. Your Cs are your solid playables, meat and potatoes of any limited deck. They're very interchangeable, average creatures or normal removal spells. Cards like Kindly Ancestor, Desperate Farmer... Voldaren Epicure and Grizzly Ritual. Your Ds are sometimes playable situational cards, below average, replaceable cards, Blood Servitor, Sure Strike, Nebelgast Beguiler, or Dreadlight Monstrosity. Your Fs are your unplayables or cards that you should never put in your deck or weird rares, cards like Cartographer Survey, Change of Fortune, or Splendid Reclamation. In addition to us giving plus or minus grades in those letters, we've also got a couple other augmentation grades or just straight up grades. First up is Sideboard Cards. Cards that don't make the main deck, but when you board them in can be quite good. Things like Sanctify or Crushing Canopy, Lantern of the Lost, and End the Festivities. We've also got Build Arounds, cards that don't do much on their own, but when you build around them can be anywhere from good to great. 
cards like Whispering Wizard, Catapult Fodder, Dying to Serve, or Hallowed Haunting. And uh, a sort of variation on the build around theme is Synergy cards, which are cards that are not good enough to build around, right? They're not like, oh, I take this and I'm going to do this plan like a Whispering Wizard, but they provide good synergy if they're in the right deck. So Nurturing Presence in a blue-white deck, Kessig Flame Breather in a red-based spells deck, that sort of thing. All right, I've got my gloves on. I'm ready to (laughs) enter the ring. Let's go. Okay, so I, you know, the person with the higher grade is the one who should talk about the card first. Um, so it's mostly going to be you, I think. Uh, first up, we've got Igonjo Exemplar. This is one and a white for a 2-1 enchantment creature human samurai. When a samurai or warrior you control attacks alone, it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. C minus for me, C plus for you, Ben. Yeah, I really like this card. I think in a red-white aggressive deck, right? You're not playing this card outside of red-white, but as a red-white gold card, I think in that deck, it's going to be really strong. It essentially is a two mana, two one exalted. And I think Mm -hmm. the way that deck is going to play out is that you're going to just play like a normal aggro deck. And then once you start to, you know, run out of steam or your opponent starts to stabilize, that's when you can start cracking in with one creature that's Voltroned up from all your samurai attacking alone abilities. And I think having a couple Iganjo exemplars on the battlefield that's going to give your single attacking creature plus one plus one or plus two plus two is going to be really strong. Not to mention that this just beats in as a two mana three two early in the game. I think this is exactly what Red White wants. Yeah, I'm, I, I agree with you. I'm going to go C+. Whew, that was easy. Let's go. Easy peasy. All right, moving on to our next card, which is Repel the Vile. This is three and a white for an instant. You choose one exile target creature with power four or greater or exile target enchantment. You gave this a sideboard. I gave this a C-. minus. Yeah, I'm surprised that given what you said about the green like naturalize effect, I feel like that card hits more things than Repel the Vile, given that a lot of creatures are small. Now, that doesn't take into account that there's a theme in the set of modification, and so like the raw stats there may not actually be indicative of how often you're facing large creatures that this hits, but this does not seem like an effect I want to put in my deck most of the time. I think the difference for me is what you said, whereas you know you want that spell to kill cards that you care about killing, and mm-hmm. I think the a lot of the creatures that you care about killing are going to be the large creatures that you're losing to. So having a card that has a target in enchantments is pretty nice and then also is going to be able to deal with very large threats or bombs that are threatening to win the game i think that pushes it more towards the edge of yeah i'm willing to throw a copy of this in my main deck for four mana (laughs) i mean i know you're not happy about it you have it as a c minus but i just think like i feel like something went wrong like you when you have to put this in your deck yeah it's not great i mean i think you're fine starting on the sideboard or the c minus i think we're saying okay. the same thing with different grades and of the two of us i think i am more likely to toss a copy of this in my main deck than you are yeah because i have higher standards <laughs> <laughs> all right moving on to next card which is michiko's reign of truth you gave this a synergy b i gave this a synergy c plus this is one and a white for a saga first two chapters target creature gets plus one plus one until end of turn for each artifact or enchantment you control and then it comes back as that zero zero with power and toughness equal to the number of artifacts and enchantments you control yeah i mean i could even see this as like build around potential because as we talked about this is both a a payoff and an enabler and sure on turn two like we talked about it's not that great but what's nice about it is double spelling with it later in the game is really good and like just threatening to give plus three plus three or something does not seem crazy to me and that just enables huge attacks not to mention then this flips into you know a three three a four four or larger i I don't know i'm i think this card's really strong i think if you're looking at it as black white gold card like synergy build around i'm moving up to b minus with you i think you're right green white it's also great yeah 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 
I, I'm too low on this card. I agree. All right, let's look at, uh, what is this, the Killers? When we were young, three and a white for an instant. <laughs> Up to two target creatures each get plus two, plus two until end of turn. If you control an artifact and an enchantment, those creatures also gain lifelink until end of turn. I said D, you said C minus. Okay, we need to back up for just a second because one, I would never think to make a pop culture reference like that, but I would just like everyone to know that I got that pop culture reference, which is shocking. Okay, so talk to me about this card. Yeah, this is, I think, not a great card as both of us noted in our grades but Mm -hmm. i do think this has serious blowout potential in a black white deck like if you're trying to decide what to include as your 20 through 23rd type card in a black white deck i think the potential upside here is a huge swing you're potentially nabbing two creatures and a big life swing i think that's worth putting in your deck yeah i don't know it's just the the cost here i certainly see the ceiling sure if it, if this lines up really really well in terms of you have two targets you have an artifact and an enchantment and maybe this is even worth like giving a synergy grade or something where you're like Maybe this is powerful enough that this even makes you want to do the black-white thing or you start to warp your pick order around so you can consistently have those cheap artifacts and enchantments to enable this. Because, sure, the ceiling on this card is insanely high and nearly impossible to come back from. You know, your opponent kills one or two of your things in combat and gains, what, eight to ten life or something in that turn? That's just GG right there. Yeah, I mean, I'm viewing this as only putting in a black-white deck if you already have the support for it. It's not good enough, I think, to try to draft around. But I think in a black-white deck can certainly be a powerful card. It's expensive, but when it hits, it's going to hit great. Yeah, I think that's fair. Maybe maybe I'll bump up to like synergy C minus or whatever. Um, sure. The, the, yeah, the, mana, the cost here is pretty deterring to me. Yes, I agree. All right. Looking at our blue commons next, we've got Futurist Sentinel. Three and a blue for a 6-6 six, six vehicle with crew three. I said D, you gave it a synergy C. And I think in general... I think you're more excited about the vehicle stuff than I am. Yeah, I think that's true. I think pilots existing to where there's a token that can crew cards like Futurist Sentinel, because normally we think about like, you know, you want crew one or crew two, right? Because crew three is where it starts to be prohibitive. But built into the format, there's cards that are meant to crew these things. And I can't imagine they would just let an entire archetype that has this many cards dedicated to it flop like there are so many vehicles running around so i don't think futurist sentinel is going to be great or one of the premium vehicles by any stretch but the fact that you could get a pilot token and then just have a four mana six six to crew i think is worth looking at in blue white okay i think that's fair and i also want to take a second here we got some feedback in the discord about talking about vehicles in general because maybe some folks haven't played with vehicles before and i think this is a good time to chat about it because you're even starting to allude to some of our heuristics around vehicles one of them being that like you really want crew one or crew two and once you get to crew three I and mean, one of the reasons that honeymoon hearse was such a flop in vow was you know, it had an effective crew cost of three or four because you had to tap two creatures to crew it. And once you get to crew three plus, that is what you have to do generally, right? You're not often having large creatures that you want to tap and then hop in your vehicles. The other thing is, is that cheaper vehicles are better because what you want to do with your vehicles is play them early. And then every creature you play after that, you know, if you have a, a two mana vehicle that has a crew cost of one, well, every creature you play after that, even though it can't attack that turn, effectively has haste because it can tap and crew your vehicle. And so it, you know, hops in there and gets an attack in. Um, and so the more expensive the vehicle is, the more, you know, the less likely I am to, to rate it highly and the more expensive the crew cost is. Now, the pilot things, that does throw a whole, you know, new variable into the game. And I don't know how that's going to play out, but I don't know. Keyword dumb that has to have 
Crew 3, I, I'm, I'm not crazy about it. I feel like there's better vehicles that you can get your hands on. I agree. I do agree that there are better vehicles. So maybe this is something more like Synergy C- or Synergy mm-hmm. D+. Plus, but I think you're going to be playing cards like this in blue-white. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, definitely possible. Moving on to our next card. It's Saiba Trespassers. This is four and a blue for a 3-5 artifact creature. And it has channel three and a blue. Discard it. Tap up to two target creatures you don't control. Those creatures don't untap during their controller's next untap step. You gave us a D. I gave us a C minus. And I think we can just lump this discussion in with our next card because it's going to be the same conversation, which Mm -hmm. is Mirror Shell Crab. Five blue blue for a five seven artifact creature crab with ward three. And it's got channel two and a blue. Discard this counter target speller ability unless its controller pays three. So again, same grades. I gave us a C minus. You gave it a D. My pitch for both of these cards is that, yes, they're typical like clunky D cards, but I think the modality of channel makes them a little bit better than that, right? Is that not enough for you to be a little more excited about running cards like this? So my problem with, and I have less of a problem with the crab and more of a problem with the trespassers, is that the the cool thing about channel on a lot of these cards is that the channel abilities and the creature abilities or whatever, the, the modality that you get is that both cards are good in different situations, right? The channel ability on the trespassers is great when you're ahead, right? That, that, what I forget what it's called, something crippling chill or that chill of the whatever, frostbite, frost chill, frost breath, <laughs> whatever these effects are, right? That like tap two things, they stay tapped for a turn. That just like wins the game a lot of the time in aggressive decks. My problem is, is that a deck never wants to play a five mana three five. So the, the idea of like, well, when the, the channel effect isn't good, what I have is another card that I don't want and don't think is good. And I get that like sometimes, sure, well, you just want to block. And so whatever, five mana three five. But I just don't, I find that the channel effect is too situational and the creature is too bad that even for that modality, I'm not interested in this card. Yeah, I, I, that convinces me a little bit. I'll, I'll move down to D plus. What about the crab? Can I talk you up at all? The crab is less egregious to me. I still find that like, I don't really want a three mana counter spell in my deck. And I don't really want a seven mana five, seven that doesn't like if this had the sort of typical, then it had seven mana activation to make it unblockable or whatever that we see on these like large dumb blue creatures, then I could maybe get behind it as like a, you know, a finisher for a bad control deck or something, but it doesn't even have that. I guess like just keyword large means it will have attacks, but it can be chumped, et cetera. I don't know. I just still feel like less so than I do about the trespassers, but I still feel like neither of these abilities are things I actually want in my deck. And so the fact that I get a choice doesn't really entice me. Yeah, I, I you're probably right. I think they're probably both D territory. I'll, I'll move down to D plus on both of them. I mean, they're like, you can play them, right? They're like, the D still means you, I'm going to have to put these in my decks at some point, And I'm certainly going to lose to the trespassers ability at some point, but I just don't think they're that good. All right, let's let's get let's get to this vehicle here at Uncommon Mobilizer Mech. This is one in a blue for a three four flying vehicle. Its crew cost is three, but when it becomes crewed, up to one other target vehicle you control becomes an artifact creature until end of turn. So effectively, if this gets crewed, it auto crews another one of your vehicles. I gave this a synergy C. You said synergy B minus, and we're we're probably saying similarish things, but. Maybe you're higher than I am. It sounds like I'm higher than you are. (laughs) I want to know what's wrong with this card. It looks super busted to me in a blue-white vehicles deck. What am I missing here? I think I'm just maybe getting trapped in not feeling like, you know, R&D knows what they're doing with the vehicles thing. So my question to you is, how many vehicles in your dedicated blue-white vehicles deck 
because there's 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 another heuristic maybe we should talk about but you know your deck only has room for so many things that care about creatures or things that need creatures to function right so vehicles or equipment or combat tricks or auras whatever all those augmentations need creatures to do the thing that you want them to do so how many you know assuming you have to have 15 ish plus creatures in your vehicles deck you don't have room for more than like five vehicles right no i I, like i think five would be a minimum i think you're running between five and eight vehicles most likely if you've got pilot tokens running around i think that also changes the equation right if you get born to drive and you make two pilots that that counts as a creature right so count that as your creature spell you sure. need you need ways to so you don't just draw all vehicles or that you have one creature three vehicles in your opener and your opponent goes cool kill your creature what are you supposed to do i think if you think about vehicles like land so you've got eight eight red sources or whatever over the course of a game you're going to expect to draw three of those eight red sources i, I think you're going to want six seven eight vehicles i don't know i the vehicles look very powerful to me. And I think when you hit the A plus B of pilot tokens plus vehicles, especially vehicles like this that are going to animate other vehicles, seems super strong to me. Two mana, three, four flying that makes another vehicle a creature is very strong. Did I miss more ways other than born to drive and the blue white uncommon vehicle? Are there more ways to make pilot tokens? There's the hotshot pilot, the one drop. I mean, Uh I think you're going to have to be blue white and it's going to be a very hyper focused archetype, right? There's not going to be bleed or things like that. But if you're the only vehicles drafter at the table, I can see the deck being very good. And maybe I'm just wrong about that. But that's what I picture as being the only blue white drafter. You get the pilots and you get the vehicles because nobody else is wanting to do it. It doesn't seem like an archetype that you're going to want to fight over. But I think when it comes together, it's going to pack a punch. I I don't doubt that. An archetype uncontested will come together and be good. (laughs) But I think like all the cards you're naming are uncommons that make the pilots or can crew things larger. Like I'm just nervous of this two mana three, four. And this checks my boxes of, oh, it's a two drop vehicle. So I play it on two and then every subsequent thing can crew it. Except it's got a crew cost of three that's so large. Like I said, maybe I'm underrating it and and I've I've been punished in the past for not trusting R&D when they've, you know, seeded an archetype like this. But this, if this had Crew 2, I'd be way more into it than Crew 3. Yeah, I mean, the part I'm excited about is animating another vehicle, right? Because that sort of makes it like it's Crew 2. I mean, if you've got two vehicles and you have to tap two creatures to crew mobilizer mech, great. You still like spent a creature to crew each vehicle, yeah? Yes, that's that's true. But then I had two, I had to play two creatures. Yeah, I mean, I'm not over the moon. I gave it a B minus. You're, but I, I, you <laughs> are over the moon. You sound fully looped around the moon. All right. Well, we'll we'll have to come back to uh, to seeing what the vehicles deck looks like after we have a a few days to play with the set this week. All right. Next up, we've got Acquisition Octopus. You gave this a D plus. I gave this a C plus. This is two and a blue for a two two artifact creature, and whenever it or equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, you draw a card. And this has reconfigure two. So Alex made this comparison to me, which I thought was pretty apt. How does this compare to Mischievous Catgeist? Significantly better. It would talk to me. Why? I mean, it's Scroll Thief, which is just better than Catgeist because it's got two power. It's going to threaten to trade in combat more. There's cards like the stupid Infiltrator, Network Infiltrator in blue that are going to let you push this through. And there's evasive creatures that you're going to be able to reconfigure this onto and move it around. I think this card is way better than Catgeist. Yeah, see, my thought was that like Catgeist might even be better because there are times where on the play on turn two, you just drop that 
And then whatever removal spell or a bounce spell lets you get in a couple times with it. I mean, the evasive thing, moving it around, like you could do that in Vow too. You put a cat geist on a lantern bear or whatever. Like, I don't know. I think this, I don't think this is connecting that often as a three mana two, two, and will often trade down in combat. Well, so, so let me ask you this. We're, we're at the, we're at the patented portion of this section. What grade <laughs> yeah. do you give Scroll Thief? What's that? Three mana, one, three? Yeah. I think it's like a D plus. Do you really? I just love that card. It changes the game so much. It changes the game. I just, I think it's just not good anymore. Wow. I don't know. Like, I think we're at a point in limited where like three mana, one, three doesn't cut it. And like cards that are only good when you attack with them are not good magic cards, I don't think. But that's like saying that decayed zombie tokens are only good when you attack with them because they they change how your opponent can attack you, right? Acquisition Octopus being on the battlefield means your opponent always has to respect it connecting. I think, sure, that's, that's fair, except that I, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, I have had this feeling a lot of times where I've played games and I've gone, I don't actually care if you're drawing cards. Like, you can draw, sure, Play this understated thing. Hit me. I'm happy to race. I will kill you before this card advantage engine matters. I'll let your cat guys hit me. I don't care. Right. Like, I think that happened in, for example, Ikoria, right? With the stupid little seal thing. Yeah. Like the, the two-two. The thieving otter. This is this is thieving otter, but yeah, but it has reconfigure. That is a thing. Right. But it has reconfigure. And I think Ikoria was also hyper-powered thanks to cycling. This can't be a D. Uh, that's what I think it is. <laughs> I think it's a D plus. Like, I think I'm not... I, Again, I think you'll play it and it's fine. I think as a three mana, two, two, it's not great. Maybe with like other reconfigure things or the augmentations, like it's not crazy to think that you could buff this up. But like we had mutate in Ikoria with Thieving Otter and that just like didn't really matter. We've had, you know, other ways to buff creatures with Disturb for Catgeist and that didn't really matter. I think, I don't think this card is any different. I think we're going to have to agree to disagree on this one. All right. Last blue card here is Covert Technician. This is two and a blue for a 2-4 artifact creature human ninja at Uncommon. It has an ninjutsu ability of one and a blue, and it says whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you may put an artifact card with mana value less than or equal to that damage from your hand onto the battlefield. More negative Nancy grades from me. I gave it a D. You gave it a C plus. Yeah, I like this card for a couple reasons. I think a two and a blue two four artifact is just fine stats, right? Like vanilla Mm. test wise. I think that passes with flying colors in the format. And then the fact that this has ninjutsu is upside, right? It's not Mm -hmm. often that you're going to care about putting an artifact from your hand onto the battlefield necessarily. But I think you do care about the flexibility of ninjutsu letting you pick something up with an enter the battlefield ability that maybe gets through uncontested. So I think this just has a lot of small things going for it where you don't necessarily care about the artifact text, but I think all the other stuff makes this just a fine magic card. Yeah, I'll go I'll go synergy C on this card. I think I think you're right. You're, you're selling me on. It does a lot of small things well. All right, that takes us on to black. We've got a Reckoner Shakedown up first. You give this a D minus. I gave this a C. It says two and a black for a sorcery. Target opponent reveals their hand. You can choose a non-land card from it. If you do, that player discards that card. If you don't, put two plus one plus one counters on a creature or vehicle you control. What, what am I missing here? Why is why is three mana targeted discard all of a sudden good? So I think this has some Toll of the Invasion vibes to me in that I think three mana look at their hand, take a card. If they have a bomb or something you need to take, that's good. And then if you see also, like if you're in some sort of a black beatdown deck, 
you see also that they don't have any interaction or any removal spells in their hand. Like the ability to put a plus two plus two aura on your creature is bad because you get two for one, right? But this lets you look ahead of time to put the plus two plus two onto your creature, which is also going to modify it. I don't know. I think this does enough that it's playable. It's probably not a C, but maybe yeah. like D plus. I don't think this is that bad. I I think something went horribly wrong where I have to put this in my deck. But again, I like maybe I'm underrating it. The the comparison to told the invasion, you got both. You got a one one or plus one plus one plus exile the thing from their hand or they discard it. I forget which one it was, but I don't know. You, you're, you're making a compelling argument in the like, if you don't want to them to discard something, but don't you usually want them to discard something and then you've spent the mana and they haven't and you've won for one? Yeah, sure. D plus. Not, not a great card. All right. Next card we got to talk about here is Twisted Embrace. Two black black for an enchantment aura, enchant artifact or creature you control. When Twisted Embrace enters the battlefield, destroy target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls. And as long as enchanted permanent is a creature, it gets plus one, plus one. I gave this a B. You gave it a C plus. This is my first. This is, I'm, I'm not used to this. This is my first time having a grade higher than you. <laughs> What's going on with Twisted Embrace? Talk me up. So it's Aroas's Blessing from Theros Beyond Death, which was the, the comparison that Alex made, which was very good. It was a four-mana aura. ETB did a similar thing, gave plus one, plus one, and dealt four, didn't just straight up kill the thing. And that was one of the best commons in that set. And I think that tempo hit really is powerful. And certainly there is downside here of, you know, casting your aura into open mana or whatever is scary. You can get blown out. But I think the upside here outweighs that sort of downside or that tricky play that you have to make sometimes with it. What if I compare it to Hunt the Week that's too black black? I mean, this does just straight up kill the thing, though. You, you don't have to have a large creature. You just have to have a creature. I guess. But I think we were not that excited about Hero's Downfall in Crimson Vow in a format full of bombs. Like, it's hard for me to get excited for a sorcery speed Thing that has to have all those things you named mm -hmm. go right and i think lethal exploit which is the other black common removal spell one in a black instant target creature gets minus two minus two and then an additional minus one minus one for each modified creature you control i think mm -hmm. that's where you're going to want to be as far as removal spelling and i also think the comparison to eros's blessing look at the other commons in theros beyond death they were all garbaggio right like this mm -hmm. format looks way higher powered to me than theros beyond death did I don't know. I mean, and this is my hot take for the format is that Twisted Embrace isn't that good, but I, I don't think it's that good. Yeah. And maybe I'm just like still living in the past with four mana removal spells in black that are catch all. Um, but I, I, I like this card quite a bit. I'm going to stick it B for Twisted Embrace. And the other thing to note is it, it does modify your creature, right? That's a point mm -hmm. in its favor. It's, it's weird, though. I mean, you, you didn't mention lethal exploit, but that modified is generally red green, right? And it's weird to see black having stuff that does modify or then cares about being modified um, in a color that where that's not really the focus, but maybe in black, red or black green decks, it's going to matter. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see if this ends up being like you're playing every copy you get or like you're fine to play a copy. All right, here, here are the takes. This is our biggest disagreement so far. <laughs> Enormous energy blade. What a troll of a card this is. Two and a black for an artifact equipment at uncommon. Equipped creature gets plus four plus oh. The equip cost is two. But whenever enormous energy blade becomes attached to a creature, tap that creature. I gave this an F, stone unplayable. And I gave it a C. I think this card is playable. Four power is so much, and the equip cost is only two. So picture this in an aggressive deck where you attack with your creature, and then post-combat, 
you equip to it. And the next turn, they're having to fight through a 5-1 or a 6-2 or whatever. And then you put it on your next derpy creature. Like, imagine a virus beetle wearing an enormous energy blade. Like, that's going to be a problem eventually, right? I don't think I don't think so. I think this card's terrible. And <laughs> the, yes, you are just... There are not many magic cards where you can't paint a picture of it being good and of maybe it being better than anything. Like, only this card can do the thing you're saying. And that's fair. I think in the world where reconfigure exists and where this doesn't boost toughness and where this is terrible when you are behind is really bad and i think you are (laughs) never gonna want this in your deck never gonna want this in your deck is a hard stance that's the stance i'm taking i think this card has potential i don't think it's good but i think it's got potential i don't think it's unplayable i think you're willing to put this in a very aggressively slanted black deck why well don't you just want a like a threat over this well put it imagine it on a flyer the stupid little moth rider patrol or the bat that's in black the the one in a black one two yes pen i understand that like yes when your one one flyer has attacks and you have time to play this and equip it that it's going to end the game quickly i get that but the the scenarios where this card is atrocious far far outweigh the scenario you're describing there are a lot of scenarios where it's bad i'll give you that yeah <laughs> next up we've got unforgiving one this is two and a black for two three spirit with menace whenever it attacks return target creature card with mana value x or less from your graveyard to the battlefield where x is the number of modified creatures you control yeah i just i was i didn't know how to grade this card i gave it a d plus that's probably too low um you gave it a c plus so three mana two three menace the floor there that i feel like is about d plus territory it's not great maybe it gets a little better with ninjutsu because it has evasion but also it's expensive that's not the kind of thing you want to like pick up and replay this return thing again is weird with the modified ability being in black and maybe it's just more prevalent in black than i'm giving it credit for but i just found this card really tough to evaluate yeah i think you're gonna end up with some modifications just naturally right so if you can get back some cheap creatures like a virus beetle or the one one that puts a plus plus one counter on something if like i don't think two modified creatures is an unreasonable ask and then if this has attacks i don't know i think it's upside maybe it's i gave it a c plus maybe it's just a c but i think Mm. again this card a two three menace is fine i think we've seen that yeah i'll go see with you and and also in a set with with modifications period like a two three menace wears Plus and plus one counters well, it wears ore as well, it wears equipment well. So it wears an enormous yeah. energy blade well. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, that's so I'll, I'll go see with you on Unforgiving One. Last black card we want to look at here is the Long Reach of Night. Three and a black for a saga. Chapter one and two, each opponent sacrifices a creature unless they discard a card, and it transforms into Animus of Night's Reach. It's an 0-4 with Menace. When it attacks, it gets plus X plus O until end of turn, where X is the number of creature cards in defending player's graveyard. Again, I gave it a D. You gave us a B minus. Yeah, I want to preemptively concede here, but I think we should talk about just the evaluation of this card so that people don't make the same mistake that I did. Initially looking at this, my thought process was at worst, it's a three for one, right? Which is Mm -hmm. true of the card. That is its worst case scenario because the first Mm, two chapters. That's not true. If they have no creatures in play. They don't have to do anything. They have to discard a card. No, they don't. Each opponent sacrifices a creature unless they discard a card. If you have no creatures in play, you go, cool, sacrifice a creature, done. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, that's not but, great. But that so, is a scenario where your opponent has no creatures in play, so that's also probably good for you. Which you're probably also okay with, but yeah. Yeah. I think it's just also really slow, right? And then the power being based on the number of creature cards in their graveyards, a little awkward. I don't know. 
it's, it's hard for me to think it's a D, but I, I certainly don't think it's a pull into black. After doing some practice drafts last night, I was looking and I was like, oh, I just don't really care about this card. I think it's probably more like C minus D plus territory. Stuff that costs four or more just has to do more than this, I think. And even with the thought of like, well, it's it's mind rot or whatever. It's slow mind rot and they get to see the second discard coming. So they get to decide I'm going to hold this land or whatever. And so you're like very, very unlikely to, you know, unlike casting mind rot on turn four or five or whatever, when you get their last two cards, this doesn't do that. And then flips to, you know, a creature that only really ha- does its thing when it attacks and only if they have a lot of creatures in the bin. I, ju- I just think it's it's too clunky. Right. That was my initial valuation was mind rot with a creature along with it. That seems like a great card. And it's, it's just not that. Yeah. All right, well, speaking of uh, preemptively conceding, let's talk about experimental synthesizer. Uh, single red artifact when it ETBs or leaves the battlefield, exile the top card of your library until end of turn you may play that card. And you can also pay two in a red to sacrifice it to make a 2-2 white samurai creature token with vigilance, but only activate that as a sorcery. I gave it a D, you gave it a synergy C+. In my defense, this was like one of the first red cards I saw because we like look at them at common uncommon rare in mana value order. This was the second one I looked at and I was like, this looks really clunky, but I think this is actually really gluey for a lot of red decks. Yes, I agree. It's going to do a lot of things super well in blue, red and black, red, and I think is also probably playable in red, white, a little less happy about it in red, green, but it's outstanding in red, blue and red, black. Yeah, I think I'm going to just join you at Synergy C+. All right, next up, we've got Simeon Sling. This is red for the 1-1 one, one artifact creature <laughs> equipment monkey. And equipped creature gets plus one plus one. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. I'm feeling bullied. <laughs> Whenever this or equipped creature becomes blocked, it deals one damage to defending player and you can reconfigure it for two. You gave us a C plus. I gave it a C minus. Talk me up. You don't like the little monkey anymore just because it's on a one mana two one. That is correct. <laughs> I am <laughs> yeah. felt betrayed. I think this card's really good still. Uh, I, ha- I think I have this in my top three red commons. Um, red has a lot of redundancy in terms of certainly at uncommon, these one drop aggressive threats um, that I think are all going to play really well together. And then just the fact that this you know comes down on turn one and can do a, a few points of damage and then you know threatens to be a Tormentor's Helm variant on your other creatures. I, I still think this is quite strong. How excited were you about Tormentor's Helm? What grade would you have given Tormentor's Helm? I'm maybe maybe I need to give it a synergy C+, but I was excited about Tormentor's Helm in, in red-white decks, red-black red decks, I think. Helm was a good card. Yeah, but that also had a thing about caring about equipment in it, right? Yeah, but so modified, buddy, exists yeah, in red, right? I guess. That I don't know. I would go to see Alex having this at B minus seems absurd to me, unless I am very wrong about this card. The, the man loves a hot take. The man loves his one drops. What can you do? You know? Yeah, I think this is likely to get blanked after a turn or two. And I just don't think it's going to do enough. The fact that it's an artifact is about its only saving grace. I think this card has like glue written all over it for me and i think it's really good in red aggressive decks which is what red looks like it wants to do most of the time yeah i am excited to see how it plays out and i hope i am wrong about it but i am way less excited about it after my evaluation mistake i think i'm gonna concede on this next one though this this next red one drop is reinforced ronin single red for a 2-2 artifact creature human samurai at uncommon it has haste at the beginning of your end step, you return Reinforced Ronin to its owner's hand, and it has channel one in a red, discard Reinforced Ronin, draw a card. That's so funny because I was going to preemptively concede to you on this card. 
Well, I just kept thinking. So I was just kept thinking about the like the ceiling of this card is you play it on turn one on the play and it gets in for probably two attacks. And then maybe even on turn three, threaten, you can double spell, play a two drop, play this. Either they have a trade for it or eventually, you know, if it gets in for that one or two attacks, then you discard it. Right. But I think my argument for cards like just cards that can't block are bad. And I know that you can just cycle this away, but that has a cost to it. That's not free. I'm a little less excited about this card. I know the ceiling is there and there are certainly decks where this will play out like a C plus, I think when you do have all those like redundant red one drop aggressive things. Um, But I'm a little more, I don't know. I'm a little cooler on this card right now. Are you ready to be talked back up? Sure. I think what I missed about this card is it's a one drop artifact creature that you can play every turn. So for your black, red, only cult anvil, this triggers that every turn. All your blue, mm-hmm. red cards that care about artifacts entering the battlefield. This is something you can do for one mana every turn to have an artifact entering the battlefield. And I think it's super busted when you take all of those things into account, right? It's maybe going to get some damage in early. And then late in the game in artifact decks, it gives you an artifact entering the battlefield every turn. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely something I hadn't considered. That is pretty sweet for the cheapness of it all. Yeah, I could see that happening. Yeah, I don't know. So maybe it's not it's it's good outside of just straight up red beatdown decks. Yeah, I think it's a solid C plus, And I think it's got a lot of synergy in the format. All right, I'll stay at C plus then. Next up, we've got Tempered in Solitude. This is one in red enchantment. Whenever a creature you control attacks alone, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. I give us a B minus. You gave it a D. Yeah, I like this card quite a bit. I think it's going to be very good in red white to make sure you don't run out of gas. And I think it's going to be playable other places potentially. But mostly I'm looking at it as a red white gold card or red aggressive deck type card. But I think in those decks... Getting an extra card every turn for two mana is pretty powerful. I just don't think that red aggressive decks care about card advantage. Like, I don't want a card that does nothing on its own, that doesn't do anything. Like, this only works when I have attacks, and it doesn't help me get attacks. It only helps me get more resources. And if I'm an aggressive deck, I just want the game to be over. I don't care about extra resources that much. I feel like there's a theme here where... You're like, this card can be good in this situation, and I agree with that. I just don't think that situation is going to happen that much where this card matters. I think I'm just trusting that the red-white samurai thing is going to be good and be how the red-white deck plays out. And I think if that's true, you're going to be really excited about this card in that deck, right? Because not only are you forcing your opponents to trade with your cards, you're two-for-one in them every time you send in a soldier to battle one at a time. I think that seems powerful and very hard for your opponent to deal with. Yeah, I I mean, definitely. I feel like the first time I see this on the battlefield, I'll have a sense of, oh, this does feel like it's warping the game and, you know, forces me if if I'm not, you know, beating down that my opponent is just going to accrue too much value for me to be able to compete that I could definitely see that. Yeah, it's hard card to evaluate. One of us is going to be right. And I think you won't know until we see it on the battlefield. Yeah. There's not going to be a lot of middle ground. It's either going to be good or not very good. That's what I think, yeah. And maybe maybe it's also deck dependent too. Like you need the right kind of red-white deck for it to be good or the right kind of attack alone a deck for it to be good. But Heiko Yamazaki is next. The general, three and a red for a 3-3 legendary creature, human samurai with trample. And when a samurai or warrior you control attacks alone, you may cast target artifact card from your graveyard this turn. 
I said C minus, you said C plus. The the knocks I'm giving against this, and there's a similar card in white. That's a three mana, three two with vigilance that lets you get back an enchantment card, right? Lets you cast an enchantment card from your graveyard with the same attack alone text. I like that card a bit better, not because I just feel I think like enchantments are better, but I like the stats on that a little more in terms of being a three drop. This being a four mana three three trample that won't block particularly well makes me like it a little less. I don't know that, that idea that the, just a big difference of three mana to four mana for me. Yeah, this is probably just a C. I don't know. It's not that exciting of a card. Moving on to green. We've got Coiling Stalker. You give this a D plus. I gave this a C. This is one in a green for a two one snake ninja with ninjutsu one in a green. And whenever it deals combat damage to a player, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control that doesn't have a plus one plus one counter on it. I'm going to say the same things I said about that two four. I think this has, does a lot of small things well. If it connects, it's going to put plus one plus one counter things like that you care about getting things modified. I think anything that has ninjutsu to have the flexibility to rebuy ETB triggers is good. So I just think this does a lot of small things that makes it a C. It's a fine two drop to have in your deck. Yeah, I I just don't see this connecting more than once. I, I get the idea that it can pick up an unblocked thing and that's good for you sometimes. And then it's just a three two. Like, I don't think that's getting in ever again, right? Probably not. No. Or, or it's a 2-1 and I put a counter on something else and then it's still it's not getting in ever again. I don't know. This feels like, like I'm, I don't think this is an above replacement 2-drop in my mind. And so that's why I'm giving it a D plus. But that's a C, right? Uh, the, the, like interchangeable. No, I think that re- replacement level cards are in the D territory in my mind. Like we, we go back to whatever the, the, the five R's that everybody loved because they were so easy to track. But like, um, you know, uh, reasons are B's, rewards are C's, role players are like C's, C minus, and then replaceables are your D's. Yeah, I guess I just view this as a role player in red green, I think. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Looking at the removal spell here, Master's Rebuke. One on a green for an instant. Target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to target creature or Planeswalker you don't control. I said this uh, on stream the other day, but playing uh, the double feature drafts, I kept looking at my Wolf Strike going, why can't you kill Planeswalkers? And now it can. <laughs> yeah, so I gave this a B minus. I am way more excited about this card than the two black black aura that kills a creature. I think two mana instant speed. Instant speed seems like where you're going to want to be interacting in the format with all the reconfigure, all the ninjutsu. Like you're going to want to be able to stop that sort of stuff when your opponent is going to attack or going to equip. And I like this card quite a bit. I have two words for you, Ben, that I'm curious to hear your thoughts on. Ram through are going to be your two words. Ram through are my two (laughs) words. Talk to me about why this is a B minus. And ram through was your soapbox card of Akoria. I think there's a difference in the formats. And I think cycling was so good in that format and green was so terrible. Although I think green is also set up to be pretty terrible here. So (laughs) maybe this isn't going to be that good. So maybe this is C plus and not B minus. But I do think this is a top green common. Yeah, I think I have this in my top green commons as well. I think that speaks more to the weakness of green's commons than anything. But you know, I, I was talking to Alex about this the other day about how I wonder if I've, you know, I, we swung really hard in the pendulum of, you know, pacifism effects being bad and, you know, fight spells or bite spells that don't increase power or toughness as being bad. That on this upswing now, I do think we're seeing most pacifism, most pacifism effects these days are pretty darn good. And even something like Duel for Dominance. Even something like Duel for Dominance in Midnight Hunt, which wasn't great, still ended up being fine and playable. And I think I would rate it like a solid C. And that's what this feels closer to that, even though this is better because it's a bite and not a fight spell. Um, But I I just don't think this is going to be like, you know, 
premium. I don't feel like I'm going to want to load up on this effect. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's better than that, but we'll see. Well, speaking of bite spells, what's the uncommon bite spell here? We've got Spinning Wheel Kick. This is green, green, XX for a sorcery. Target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to each of X target creatures and or planeswalkers. I gave us a C. You gave us a D plus. I'm going to join you at D plus. I just was not brave enough to go quite that low, but I think this style of effect is time and time again, not that good and looks very good. So I think we should just take a second to explain why it's not that good. So this is four mana sorcery speed bite, but with no power boost, right? Right. And the dream is six mana killing two things. You're like, oh, that's awesome, right? Sure. And that's going to happen. And that's going to feel great when you cast it and feel terrible when it's cast against you. But like the times when this you get to blow this out because you have mana up the times where you just like can't kill their stuff because your creature's not big enough. The times where the mana investment in this is too great. Like there's just so much working against this card for it to be consistently good for you. Right. Too many things have to line up. Lastly here, I'm going to preemptively concede as well. This is Beseju reaches skyward three and a green for a saga. First chapter, search your library for up to two basic forest cards, reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle chapter two, put up to one target land card from your graveyard on top of your library. Chapter three, it flips into branch of Beseju. It's a zero, zero enchantment creature plant with reach, and it gets plus one, plus one for each land you control. I said C minus, you said C plus. I'm going to just join you at C plus. The thing that I kept getting tripped up on about this card was I was like, this is like bad cartographer's survey. Yes, that is bad. Like four mana fine two forests doesn't matter. But then you get a giant thing later. And so it is like just a it's kind of a three for one. I mean, it's slow, but it is a three for one in a sense. Even if even you just count the two for one as like who cares about the forests that late in the game. But this does because it gets big. I I think this is good. Yep. All right, moving on to the artifacts. We've got Ecologist Terrarium. You gave us a D, I gave us a C plus. I love this card. Two-man artifact. When it ETBs, you can search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it into your hand, and then shuffle. You can pay two taps, sack it to put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. I think this just is pretty good. I think you're going to want to fix. I think you're going to want to splash. And the fact that this also has upside in a modified deck that wants to do those things is pretty nice. So all told... I am in on Ecologist Terrarium. I'm just I'm just a, a big sheep, Ben. Alex says D. I go, yeah, sure, D. Who, who wants this card? You say C+, you sell me on all the good things. I go, sure, C+. I mean, I think I'm actually going to go Synergy C here, but I agree with you that I think you're just going to know when you want this card. And I think that it's going to be wanted also. Yeah, it, when you're in, you know, Certainly when you're in the Grixis decks or when you're splashing or whatever, when you need, when you want those artifact ETBs, I think, uh, I think that's true. Well, Anne, you talked about wanting artifacts that sit on the battlefield, right? This is the mm-hmm. definition of that, right? You get your <laughs> yes. land and it's sitting on the battlefield. It counts as an artifact. Like that's powerful in this format. I agree. All right. Last card to talk about here, Tawashi Guidebot. Four mana for two one artifact creature construct. When the ETBs put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control, you can pay four, tap it to draw a card. This ability costs one less to activate for each modified creature you control. I was harsh. I gave us a D minus and you gave us a synergy C plus. Yeah, I think this card does a fair amount, right? It's three tap draw a card because you automatically get one plus one plus one counter. I don't think it's crazy to imagine where this is one tap or just tap draw a card. And I think there's not a lot of ways in a red green deck to accrue card advantage or things like that. So this is a unique effect and a a worthwhile payoff for a modified deck. If the modified deck is aggressive, which I think it has to be because like modifications mean you're buffing your creatures, which means you're enabling attacks. 
I don't think this again. I'm just maybe I've I've taken your advice too much to heart, Ben. This idea that like your four mana spells or more have to do more than this. Like this is understated. Sure, it maybe enables an attack because you get to put a counter on something else that then can attack. But there are other cards that do that way better. And then this is just an expensive ability attached to a fragile body. And sure, it can be cheaper. But if it if it's one tap or zero tap, that means you have four modified things in play. And you're probably just ending the game anyway. Right. Yeah, I see all that. So maybe it's not quite as good. Maybe we meet in the middle somewhere. D plus, C minus. I mean, maybe this is just uh, maybe the modified thing is like a red herring. And this is like a cool engine thing for other decks for your for some sort of grixis deck. Like maybe that's a value deck that wants a card like this. I'm still a little nervous about the size of this card for the mana you're spending on it. But I could see it there. But I, I'm going to I'm going to stay in the in the D ish range. I could see going up to D or D plus, but I, I don't love this card. Okay, I'll come down a little bit. All right, let's get to it then. Much much like our set review, you cannot escape the text of these cards, but let's get to our top commons and uncommons here in the five colors. What do you got going on in white? In the number three slot in white, I've got Intercessor's Arrest. That's the pacifism variant. Two and a white aura, enchanted permanent, can't attack, block, or crew vehicles. It's activated abilities can't be activated unless they're mana abilities. Yeah, that's my second white common. I do think that that's going to have a place uh, in this format. My number three spot, I probably should have what your number two is in my number three slot. I've got Era of Enlightenment. This is one and a white for a saga. You scry two, then you gain two life, and then it flips into a two-two first striker. Yeah, my number two is Moth Rider Patrol, white for a one-one fox warrior with flying, and you pay three and a white, tap it to tap target creature. Yeah, I think that card's really, really good. I think that's got just glue written all over it in terms of what it does for multiple archetypes. And I I think I should have that in my number three slot. And I assume we have the same number one spirited companion, one on a white enchantment creature dog. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. The best doggo. Yeah, for sure. All right, moving on to white uncommons. In the number two slot, I've got selfless samurai. One on a white for the two, two. Whenever a samurai or warrior you control attacks alone, it gains lifelink until end of turn. And you can sack this to have another target creature you control gain indestructible until end of turn. Yeah, that card is nuts. That's my number two as well. And my number one is Touch the Spirit Realm. Two and white enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, exile up to one target artifact or creature until Touch the Spirit Realm leaves the battlefield. It also has a channel ability for one on a white. You can exile target artifact or creature, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. Ding. That's my number one as well. Awesome. What do you got going on in blue? In the number three slot, I've got Moon Circuit Hacker, one in a blue for a 2-1 with Ninjutsu of a blue. It's an enchantment creature, and whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you can draw a card. If you do, discard a card unless it entered the battlefield this turn. Yeah, that's my number two. In my number three slot, I have Moon Snare Specialist, three in a blue for a 2-2. When it enters the battlefield, return up to one target creature to its owner's hand, and it has Ninjutsu for two in a blue. That's my number two. And then number one, I assume we both have Network Disruptor, blue for a 1-1 artifact creature with flying. And whenever it enters the battlefield, tap target permanent. Yep, that's my number one as well. It's just a nod to, like, you would think, oh, well, don't you want to put the the two good ninjutsu creatures ahead of that? No, you really need the enablers to make your ninjutsu deck work. Okay, can you talk to me a second about Moon Circuit Hacker? Because I was not quite as hot as you and Alex seemed to be on this card. Is there anything I missed or why do you like it so much? I think it's just just super duper cheap, like that curve of one drop uh, network disruptor into turn two, attack with the disruptor, pick it up for a single blue with this, draw a card, replay the disruptor. It's just so cheap. And just the fact that you get to just keep looting with it i mean not that it's going to keep connecting or whatever but i think it's just really really that the cheapness here i think is is what makes it good 
Okay, moving on to blue uncommons. In the number two slot, I've got Mobilizer Mech. One and a blue for the three-fourth flying whenever it becomes crewed. Up to one other target vehicle you control becomes an artifact creature until end of turn, and it's got a crew cost of three. I have Replication Specialist in my number two slot. That's four and a blue for a three-four Moonfolk Artificer with flying. And whenever a non-token artifact enters the battlefield under your control, you may pay one and a blue. If you do, create a token that's a copy of that artifact. Yeah, I like that card as well. In the number one slot, I've got Behold the Unspeakable. This is three blue blue for a saga. Chapter one, creatures you don't control get minus two minus O until your next turn. Chapter two, if you have one or fewer cards in hand, draw four cards. Otherwise, scry two, then draw two cards. Chapter three, exile the saga, then return to the battlefield transformed into Vision of the Unspeakable, zero, zero, spirit enchantment creature with flying and trample that gets plus one, plus one for each card in your hand. Yep, that's my number one as well. That card is busted. Moving on to black in the number three slot, I have lethal exploit, one on a black instant, target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. It gets an additional minus one, minus one until end of turn for each modified creature you controlled as you cast this spell. That's my number two. In the number three slot, I've got Undercity Scrounger. Two and a black for the one four artifact creature, Human Rogue. You can tap it to make a treasure token. Activate it only if a creature died this turn. I'm embarrassed that a three mana one four that has the text treasure on it did not make my top three comments <laughs> and it made yours. That's, that's a real bummer. Uh in the number two slot, I have Okiba Reckoner Raid. This is single black for a saga. First two chapters, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. And then the third chapter, it flips into a 2-2 with Menace that has vehicles you control have Menace as well. That's my number one. Ooh, I love that take. And then so that leaves what in your number one slot? I have Twisted Embrace, the uh, the aura that we argued about that enters the battlefield, kills a creature, and gives your creature plus one, plus one for four mana. Yeah, I left that out. That's my hot take. I think that card's clunky and that these other three cards are going to be more synergistic and matter more in the format. Sweet. I love it. All right, moving on to the black uncommons. I've got Nazumi Prowler in the number two slot. This is one and a black for three one artifact creature rat ninja. It's got ninjutsu, one and a black, and whenever it enters the battlefield, target creature you control gains death touch and lifelink until end of turn. I like that card a lot. I did leave it off, though. My number two, I have Assassin's Ink, two black, black, instant. Costs one less to cast if you control an artifact and one less to cast if you control an enchantment. And it says destroy target creature or planeswalker. That is my number one. Number one, I got Dockside Chef, baby. Soup's on. One on a black for a one, two, <laughs> enchantment creature, human citizen. One on a black, sack an artifact or creature, draw a card. Moving on to red commons. I've got Experimental Synthesizer in the number three Ooh. slot. This is red for an artifact. When ETBs or leaves, you exile the top card of your library until end of turn you can play that card. I just now read the text or leaves the battlefield. Holy cow, wow. that card's absurd. What a The game that keeps on giving to Ben <laughs> in terms of the text on cards. I love it. I have Simeon Sling in the number three slot. That's the one drop equipment creature that we argued about. Can we just take a second to talk about how insane that is? I thought it was well, good I already knew, I knew what it did, so <laughs> I don't need to talk about it, but we can. All right. Moving on to <laughs> number two, Voltage Surge. Red instant deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker. If you sack an artifact, it deals four instead. Yeah, that's my number two. And number one, Kami's Flare. One on a red instant, deal three to target creature or planeswalker. It also deals two damage to that permanence controller if you control a modified creature. That is my number one as well. I think we're all lined up for uncommons too. Are we? Is it Rabbit Battery and Twin Shot Sniper? It sure is. Love Rabbit Battery. That's red for a 1-1 artifact creature with haste and has reconfigure for a single red to give equipped creature plus one plus one and haste. 
the best short sword we've ever seen. And then Twin Shot Sniper, it might just be the best uncommon in the set. Three and a red, two, three artifact creature with reach. When it enters the battlefield, it deals two damage to any target. It also has channel one and a red deal two damage to any target. Yeah, card's absurd. Moving on to green commons. Was rough going here in the green commons. I know. I settled on careful cultivation as my number three. It's two and a green enchantment aura, enchant artifact or creature. As long as enchanted permanent's a creature, it gets plus one, plus three, and has reach, and tap to add two mana of any color. Or you can channel it for one and a green and discard this to make a one, one green human monk creature token with tapped add a green. Oh, yeah. I want that as my number three. I just missed that. That's definitely my number three as well. <laughs> I like that card a lot. Um, number two, I have Master's Rebuke. That's the one and a green instant target creature you control deals damage to its power to target creature or planeswalker you don't control. That's my number one. And I think you're probably more likely to write about this than I am. And then my number two and your number one is Jukai Preserver, baby. Yeah, card's great. Three and a green for a three, three enchantment creature, human druid. And when it enters the battlefield, you can put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. And you can channel it for two and a green to put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures you control. I, I'm also embarrassed that I didn't put this in my top three. I just couldn't actually fit it. But I, I want to talk about my hot take here, which is Tales of Master Sashiro. This is my honorable mention. Four and a green saga. First two chapters. Put a plus one plus one counter on target creature or vehicle you control. It gains vigilance until end of turn. And the third chapter, it flips into a five five with vigilance and haste. And I know Alex d- didn't think i was right you don't think i'm right this is just dormant grove at common i'm sorry this card is busted <laughs> i think this card's really really good i think it's a it's a beater for sure dormant grove a, seems like a bit of a stretch I don't, it's better than dormant grove it's a five five instead of a three six <laughs> well there you go there it is you heard it here first folks <laughs> <laughs> moving on to green uncommons in the number two slot i've got web spinner cuff two and green for a one four artifact creature it's got reach and reconfigure four, and it gives equipped creature plus one, plus four, and reach. Yeah, I did not put that in my top two. I like that card a bit, though. Uh, my number two is Generous Visitor. Single green for a 1-1 one, one spirit. Whenever you cast an enchantment spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature. Yeah, love that card. That was my second choice behind Web Spinner Cuff for the number two slot. And number one, I assume we both have Blossom Prancer. Yeah, Three green green for a four four spirit with reach. When ETBs look at the top five cards of your library, you can reveal a creature or enchantment card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. And if you didn't put a card into your hand this way, you gain four life. Yeah, this card is ridiculously powerful and flexible, but green does not have a lot of good stuff. I I mean, again, I don't know if it's just because we do green last in the set review, but Green's cards seem a little clunky with a capital C to me. Well, and just less synergistic yeah. than the bleed that's going on in the other archetypes. Like each of the green archetypes is going in such disparate directions, it feels like. Mm-hmm. I think I think green, white sagas, enchantments as a good beatdown deck is going to be good. And I think green, red, modified will be good. I'm less excited about green blue or green black myself yeah we'll have to see how it all pans out but uh, like in the practice drafts i did last night really Mm -hmm. felt like cards were getting punished for not being artifacts or enchantments Ooh, interesting well that then that may lead to us wanting to play those naturalized effects who knows yeah well i think uh i think this is our longest crash course yet we're we're closing in on the two hour mark here and we were so prepared, too. There's I just know. so much text. So much to talk about. Yeah, so much text on the card, so many archetypes, so many overlapping synergies. And I mean, despite I, I was surprised when I looked at your top commons last night that we were pretty lined up, I think, you know, a few cards here and there, some hot takes here and there, but mostly we're card for card. 
despite I think a lot of our card differences and differences in grades throughout the the full set. I think we're just probably getting better at picking out the cards that really matter as we've done it for three or four years now. You see the types of mistakes you've made before and you just get better. That's at fair. It. Yeah. Leaving the pacifism effect off, etc. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Go forth, conquer your Neon Dynasty drafts this week. And thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. Spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.